Hello and welcome to Let's Talk About It. I am your host, Taylor. And today we're going to get into anxiety. We're going to get into depression. We're going to get into hospitalization and inpatient settings. Um, we're going to talk about a different form of, of treatment. Um, good friend of mine, Alexa, who lives in LA and is working in acting. She has a YouTube channel. You can follow her there. She's at youtube.com slash Alexa. And today she's going to come on and share with us her story with anxiety and depression and how she chose to enter inpatient treatment in a hospital and, and what that looks like sometimes because every recovery story is different and everyone's experience is going to be a little bit different. But we also want to work to destigmatize these different forms of treatments along with these different diagnoses. So welcome, Alexa, to the show. Thank you for having me. Yes. Thanks so much for coming on. I'm excited to talk to you. Um, A lot of the things that we're going to talk about today, we haven't really gone into yet on the pod and haven't really had anyone share bits and bits of their story like this that are similar to, to your experience. So thank you for being open to, you know, be vulnerable and and share on here with us. I mean, yes, of course. I'm excited. Yeah. I on the internet a lot, so it'll be cool to do it in podcast format because I don't know, I've only ever been on one other podcast. So really? this is Yeah. Oh wow. I've been on Grace Helbig's podcast, which was like a huge production. I'd show up there early, we had hair and makeup, because they filmed it and then they put it what did they do? They filmed it and then they like made it into like the audio thing and then they made it mm-hmm. reboot all. Yeah. So just sitting on my couch talking about things on the phone with you sounds like so. <laughs> yeah. So I like it. Yeah. Maybe a little less intimidating, hopefully a little bit more comfortable. Um, <laughs> not, cool. not a large production over here. We try to keep it casual and, um, and comforting. But I like that. I feel like listeners are able to connect to it a little bit more. Yeah, I hope so. Well, especially this pod. It's like you're talking about stuff that really matters. It's not just like two people shooting shit. It's like a real conversation. Yes. That's the goal. I mean, shooting shit is great, but (laughs) don't always need to record that and share that with everyone. Um, Totally. Like you said, you you hadn't really been, you've only been on one other podcast before and, but, but that you do have like a large internet presence. Um, you do have your YouTube channel that you do share quite a bit about like your struggles with mental health and, um, even on Instagram as well. Yeah. I've been pretty, pretty vulnerable about it and pretty honest about it just because I feel like I don't want to call it my genre, but like the people that make similar content to me that I've kind of been making similar content together with, if that makes any sense, mm-hmm. probably the group of like 10 of us girls, um, no one's really done it yet. One other girl's kind of done it in like an artistic way, but no one's like sat in front of the camera and said like, this is what I'm dealing with. This is what I'm struggling with. I'm going to be open and honest about this. Enjoy. Yeah. Uh, it's always been like conversations we've had together and I know other people are struggling from it. But I feel like I'm the one that's kind of been like, okay, I get that you're anxious about this. I get that you're not ready to share. I guess it's going to be me. Mm-hmm. And weirdly been this like incredible therapy. Um, yeah, that it's be- been like very therapeutic to share. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I feel like for a long time, I mean, even when I went to go post the first mental hospital video, 
Um, it was like my first mental health video. I talked about what it was like being hospitalized as a teenager. Mm-hmm. And a lot of my friends didn't know about it, even though it's like, to me, such a big part of me because it was like an entire chapter in my life. Yeah. Um, for me, it's like not telling one of my best friends about what my high school experience was like. Mm-hmm. So to do that, I had had so many friends I didn't tell and I knew they were all going to watch it. And I thought like, what if they, what if they listen to this? What if they watch this and they don't want to be friends with me anymore because I'm now like the girl that was hospitalized. Yeah. What if like, this stigma around what I do? And the more and more I thought about that and the more I couldn't sleep over it, the more I realized I had to do it mm-hmm. because there's probably a lot of people out there that feel the same way. And the response from my friends was incredible. They were so supportive. So many people that I knew in life had reached out to me telling me like, oh, I, I was hospitalized too, that I would have never guessed. Um, yeah. Or somebody else had dealt with depression and they were like, hey, I've never really, I don't know what this is. I finally want to talk about it. I had another friend that is like very much in the public eye. And he sat down with me and had like a very vulnerable, candid conversation just because he kind of felt the same way about our friends. He was like, there's no one that talks about this. I thought I was going crazy. Like no one else understands. And Mm -hmm. it's like, now we we both have someone to talk to about it. Yeah. That's amazing. I mean, that's, that's part of what I love. Like the, the process, getting to the process of actually speaking your truth and sharing that with people can be incredibly terrifying, but that typically once you actually, you know, cross that line and, and, you know, push through that, that threshold of fear that like you are met with so much support and that it's such like a healing process and like brings you so much closer to other people that you would oftentimes, like you said, you would have never have expected. Yeah. And I think even just a thing where it's like, I had already been seeing a therapist for two years and it was one of those things where I felt comfortable around her and I felt like I could say things, but when I was younger and I could kind of get away with it, I would go to a therapist and then after it got a little too close, I'd be like, mom, like I want to switch. Or I would like find some excuse as to why I couldn't go there anymore. Mm, and this yeah. was the first therapist that after I made that video, we have a rule where she can't watch my YouTube videos and she can't see my internet stuff. Mm-hmm. It was just like, I don't, I, the whole thing is like, I don't want you to see the persona that I put outside. Yeah. I want you to see what's in this room and that's it. And she's like, okay. Um, she's like, well, if you go and I don't see you for two months, like I'm going to go on your internet stuff. Mm-hmm. But like, if you're going to consistently come and like work on the treatment, like I won't do that. I'll respect that. And so I had made the video and I told her I made the video and we talked about like how it felt making the video and what it was like, like what it was like. And she knows who my friends are because I talk about it and mm-hmm. I would tell her like how one friend responded, how another friend responded and it was all positive. And then two weeks later, she was like, oh, I saw the video finally. And I told her, I was like, well, there was a rule. You're not allowed to go watch it. She goes, well, there wasn't a rule if somebody else sent it to me. So mm. I knew in kind of like that community, she didn't tell me who it was. So I don't know if it was another patient. I don't know if it was like another psychiatrist because apparently they're all friends. Yeah. They talk to each other for sure. (laughs) And so I don't know what it was, but she told me, she was like, the fact that somebody else sent this to me makes Mm -hmm. me like very proud of you. Yeah. So I don't know. That's kind of when I realized like, wow, this is like a good thing to do and I need to make follow-up videos and this Mm -hmm. needs to be a continued conversation. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just a whole other way of like being authentic, like being truly authentic, I think. Um, and, and just being real with, with what you are actually experiencing. And I mean, 
I love, love, love the fact that you've done this. And even when I first met you, I didn't know that you had like a YouTube presence or that you had done any of these videos or anything, but just like totally was in love with like your energy and like your vibes. And I was like, this girl is so cool. I need to be friends with her. And I just had like such a good feeling about you. And then afterwards, like find like, you know, watching your videos and finding all that stuff out. And I was just like, yeah, like this is amazing that she's doing this. Like, honestly, it's, it just made me very, very happy and feel like, yeah, this is definitely a good lady I want in my life. Oh, I mean, that's like when I met you, obviously I'd watched Nick's season. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but I feel like they like weirdly made you like this, like villain that you like weren't at all but I could see it but my friends watching it were like oh I don't get it I don't get it and I was like well like this show is like not real so like let's actually like consider the drama that they've built mm-hmm. and I remember I think we posted a photo and my whole group chat was like oh my god what's going on <laughs> like how did this happen and I'm like no guys she's like really 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 cool you probably need <laughs> her she's the coolest oh that's sweet yeah I'd love to meet, <laughs> the, meet them yeah you should. Well, we drove to Coachella together and we talked about mm-hmm. lots of things and we got stuck in traffic. Yes. So I think we bonded. And after that, I was like, you know, she's really cool. I want to be her friend. And I think we have a lot in common in the sense that we've both been very vulnerable about our struggles and we both really want to help people. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, Again, that's why, like, even as I was starting, like, to think about guests and stuff that I want to have on, I was like, I need to have Alexa on at some point. Like, we definitely need to talk. And and I think, too, like, you have a very different story than um, any other, like, close friends of mine that I know um, mm-hmm. and that you definitely bring, like, a different, unique story to the table that actually isn't even all super unique because there are a lot of other people who I'm sure will be able to relate, but it often isn't spoke about. Yeah. No, I I think so too. And that's kind of why I also feel this like added, not pressure, but added responsibility Mm -hmm. to talk about it because I think we still, of course, there's still like a huge stigma against mental health, but there's an even bigger stigma against uh, against getting the help for it. Mm-hmm. I think therapy is now more and more accepted. I feel like people are finally getting excited about it and realizing that with relationships and with life, like it really is so special mm-hmm. um, and it's so important. But I think uh, psychiatric hospitals and treatment centers are still very stigmatized against. They're either associated with rehab and drugs yep. or they're associated with being completely insane. Mm-hmm. Even like a couple of years ago, in our friend group, there was a girl that kind of came in the friend group and then she like left very quickly after like there was a mild drama. I can't go, like, I don't want to go into it at all, yeah. but she ended up in a psychiatric hospital and the whole friend group was like, oh man, she just kind of went crazy. She's in like the bin right now. Mm. And I was like, guys, like, that was right after I made the video talking about my experience. And I was like, guys, I literally just explained to the world yeah. what I went through and she's doing the exact same thing. And like, it's not fair that we are like even have as a friend group have chosen not to be friends with her, but it's not fair to say those things about her. Yeah. Mm. So it, it, I'm glad like that you stood up and, and said that to them though. I mean, that's the one thing that like that triggers me. The second anyone like goes after the hospital, I'm like, uh uh-uh, uh, that's mm-hmm. mine. Nope. You haven't been there. You don't know. Like <laughs> you yes. can't like my trigger is like hospital. Yeah. You're coming to the hospital's defense. 
always because it's like it's been made out to be this thing that it isn't and I understand that like all hospitals are different Mm -hmm. especially reading feedback that I got after talking about being in the hospital some people are like my experience was terrible they didn't know how to treat me properly but my experience was amazing and I still love the hospital yeah so I want to take a quick break to talk to you guys about teamy teas I've been using Teamy Teas for this 30-day program and it's actually really easy and everyone can do it no matter your fitness level. All you have to do is drink your Teamy Skinny Tea in the morning and then second, drink the colon cleanse every other night. It's super easy. Just by adding this to your routine, you actually start getting rid of toxins that are holding your body back from, from naturally digesting because everyone is eating pizza, donuts, and cheat meals. We're all human. But people usually don't know that the leftover toxins from these foods actually stay in our colon for years. Everyone holds about 10 to 15 pounds of these toxins in their colon, which causes you to blow, have low energy, low metabolism, and have issues losing weight. When you remove these toxins, your body will feel so much better. And it's actually really healthy to lose that through the bowels. When you remove these toxins, your body will feel so much better, get rid of bloating and toxins, feel so much more energetic, and allow the body to lose weight naturally. This is not just for weight loss, it's for your health. You will feel so much better just by adding this two-step program into your lifestyle. You guys can use my code TALK for 15% off any order when you go to teamyblends.com. All right, now back to the show. So I guess let's let's kind of talk about the hospital a little bit. Um how how did how did it come to the hospital where kind of what were the steps like leading up to the hospital um yeah just to kind of give an idea of like how you got there in the first place totally well a lot was on my plate i knew at a young age that i wanted to act and so i was taking very rigorous acting classes and um that I had to end up putting on hold, but that was kind of the first thing was like the coach that I had put me under a lot of pressure and he like had all these ideas and like just like everything I think with the combination between pressure I put on myself Mm -hmm. and kind of pressures of what that school was telling me as far as the industry. And at that point, my parents wouldn't drive me up to LA, but they were like prepping me to be an actor. Um, And so there was just like a lot of pressure there with like body issues Mm -hmm. and like work over work ethic like working Mm -hmm. way too hard and And then then in school too right yeah and I had perfect grades I had like a 4.3 GPA because I was a full IB student so it meant I was taking full AP classes plus a night course plus having to do like extra community service more than just high school graduation requirement Mm -hmm. and uh, more creative, like creative journaling, but my creative journaling was from my YouTube videos. So on top of all that, I had been making YouTube videos for a year. And during that time, it was still very new to the point where having 40,000 subscribers was like modern day having a million. Yeah. I had a very big YouTube following as well. Mm -hmm. And like some of the school knew about it. Most of them, no, the whole school knew about it. (laughs) Yeah. It was very, like no one really made fun of me, but I could hear like comments mm-hmm. of either people thinking it was cool or like pretending it wasn't cool. Yeah, and, like, so they were like judging it. Yeah, it was very much a thing, but I wasn't going to quit because I had all my YouTube friends and I had all these opportunities from it. And I was like, you can make fun of me, but like I just did an entire article with Teen Vogue and like now I can yeah. kind of – Yeah, but I mean it wasn't even like I was – didn't 
I purposely went to that school not to make too many friends, just to get through school. And my plan was to go to Yale and then just have my life. I don't know what I was thinking going to Yale and having my YouTube channel and living in LA and acting all at the same time. Like, I don't know <laughs> what my 17 year old mind was thinking. I mean, you had big dreams. Always. And those are always. good to have. Totally. And I had friends, but it wasn't like I was like insanely close to anybody that I went to school with. Most of my friends were in LA, they were YouTubers. So it was good to have their support. But for the most part, like I wasn't really super close to anybody I could see on a consistent basis. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't it sounds really... like you were pretty busy. <laughs> yeah, I was really busy. I spent all day in the library. And then the times that I didn't, I was in LA filming collabs or doing whatever, taking meetings with brands or... Like I had like a manager, I was, I was doing all the YouTube stuff, um, and still in school with the everything. It was nuts. Mm-hmm. And so I think one day I already, and I already knew I had depression and anxiety and I knew that putting too much on myself really triggers that even more. Mm-hmm. And I think one day I knew I kind of snapped but I just ignored it and I, I binge eat when I'm stressed out. So when I'm not eating, I know it's really bad. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the first sign when I see that in myself where I'm like, I don't want to eat anything. Like, I just want to do nothing. Yeah. I, well, that's like just, very typical with depression. Either you're like binge eating or you're not eating at all. Like it can kind of go yeah. one or the other way. It's kind of, you know, one of the extremes. Totally. And for me, like binge eating is like a survival mechanism. So... I like that's the biggest thing I'm working on right now is to stop binge eating because I recently mm-hmm. had like a massive depressing anxiety filled past few months. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's that's the thing is like I know when I don't want to eat, it's like very bad. And I ignored that. And I remember looking at pictures of that time and my face was completely hollow and my eyes were like, I don't really get dark under eye circles too much, but I also do when I'm super depressed. So I wasn't eating anything. My under eye circles were crazy. And then my hair gets super greasy, which is super random. Hmm. So all these pictures are me with my hair in a bun, wearing sweatpants that are too big on me and like having like a very like dead looking face. And I think that was probably like three months. I was so depressed. Every single day had suicidal thoughts usually like cry myself to sleep. I would like, just like, I would sit in a library and I remember like having like tears pouring down my eyes and like shaking and mm. being like, it's okay. It's okay. I'll make a TL. You, you, you can do everything. You can, you can be perfect. Mm. And I remember like saying that over and over and over again, like being perfect as possible. You can be perfect. You can be perfect. Like that girl at school is perfect. That girl on the internet's perfect. You can do this too. Mm. Um, and I think it was one day I was in history. Well, one day I was in French class and we had, this, we had a substitute teacher and a kid was tapping his pen. And this was also when I didn't, I didn't realize I was dyslexic. So French class was very hard for me. Mm-hmm. And I had like messed up conjugating a verb because it was in my head and he was tapping his pen and I forgot something. And I remember throwing books across the classroom and bringing my folder and running down the hall and just throwing things everywhere. And a Spanish teacher running out being like, what's going on? And realizing I wasn't okay. She brought me to the counselor and then the counselor was like, okay, just go home, whatever. And a couple of days later in my history class, I think the teachers had kind of talked about it. Yeah. But my history te- class teacher like pulled me out of class and he told me, he's like, I know you have all these goals. I know you want to do this. He's like, I know you put the weight of the world on your shoulders. Please take care of yourself. You haven't slept properly in weeks. Go home, take a nap, do what you need to do. I will give you an extension for you to finish my class over the summer. 
he's like, you can't live like this anymore. Mm -hmm. And he sat me down. He was like, going to this college isn't worth it. Doing this isn't worth it. Your happiness and your well-being is worth it. He goes, I know as this IB teacher, I'm supposed to teach you work hard, do well on your tests, get into the school. He's like, I frankly don't care for you, especially like he's like, you need to live your life. He goes, screw school. He's like, just go travel after this. He's like, do something that makes you happy. He goes, I can tell that school hasn't made you happy for so long. And that was kind of the adult that saw like, there's something horribly wrong, Mm -hmm. took the time to really break down what I needed to do. And right after that, I was like, it's time to do something. I like started searching online, found a hospital that looked good. And I went and was there for a couple months. Yeah. And I finished up my junior year of high school in the hospital. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so incredibly grateful and thankful and glad to hear that you had that history teacher that that said that to you. I mean, I sent him an email a couple, uh, like a week ago mm. and kind of just broke down like what he said and how that impacted me. And then, um, like kind of where I am now mm-hmm. and I haven't heard back from him, but just knowing that I like put that out to yeah. him, feel really good. Yeah. I mean, that was an amazing support that he was able to give you to kind of, you know, gather the courage to say, okay, yeah, you know what? This stuff really isn't that important. Like right now, getting myself in a better place is what I need to focus on. Yeah. And and so how did you come to the conclusion that, that it needed to be going to a hospital for you? I mean, I think most people would look and say, okay, maybe I should go see a therapist once a week or, or do that kind of a thing. Like what for you told you that the hospital was what you needed? I mean, every single day I had suicidal thoughts. Mm-hmm. Every single day. I knew when it was, a, it was also when I was kind of planning it that it was like scary. That you were um, starting to like fantasize and plan out the suicide? Yeah, mm-hmm. that was when I was like, okay, this isn't okay. And then I was already going to see a therapist. And I think she was just a Christian therapist because she would read scriptures of the Bible and mm-hmm. she would like tap my hands and we would pray together. And I felt really guilty talking about half the stuff I did. And so in my mind, I was like, oh, I've already seen the therapist. And I'd seen her for like a couple of years. And then like the psychiatrist, I had already like met with him once a month. I was on medication and I was like, well, if this stuff isn't helping... I don't think I was getting the support at home that I needed either. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of just like, hey, I'm going to explode. I was having like nervous breakdowns constantly. Um, it was the worst state that I had been in because it's still like the turmoil that I feel sometimes, but just as as a 16-year-old, as a 17-year-old with no coping mechanisms. Yeah. So it was just like... I knew I needed that extra layer of 24 hour support and adults mm-hmm. that were super trained to help me and what I needed to do. Yeah. Uh, and I don't really know. It was, it wasn't like I'd like watch the movies or people get like checked into hospitals. Like I didn't want to, mm-hmm. uh, we had talked about going into inpatient treatment before when I had another like depressive episode when I was 15 and I was too scared to do it. And then I think at 17, I was finally like, okay, like this is what, after years and years of suffering from, mm-hmm. I think I was 10 when I got diagnosed with depression. I was like, it's been seven years of this. Like we need to take a bigger step. But yeah, that was a big choice to make for myself at 17. So I'm still pretty proud of it. Absolutely. And you, I'm so glad that you just said that. You should absolutely be proud of yourself. I mean, that's a huge step to take um, at that age. And especially with 
um, you know, taking yourself away from your normal day to day. And I think that's one thing people really fear in going inpatient and going into a hospital setting. Um, but you, you said something that I think is really important that, you know, you still kind of feel those same things that you felt when you were 16, but now you have the coping skills to deal with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm assuming that that's what was, you know, things that you learned in the hospital when you were there. Oh my God. The hospital was like legitimately the best experience of my life. So when people are always like, Oh, I'm too scared to go to the hospital. I'm like, no, you're going to go and literally have the best time because it's people that are trained to hear what you're going through and to not be scared of it. Mm-hmm. And where I went, it was, um, the hospital that was like part of a college. So a lot of the college kids like would okay. come in there and they would talk to us and it was just so cool to see people that I looked up to that were all like med students and they were younger and having them to kind of speak to made me feel a lot more comfortable because they were, I could relate to them a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And like, I got close to a couple of them and they were really like so supportive and helpful. And then I think just having the constant support and really getting to be a kid that I didn't really get to be in a lot of ways was really special. Like we did a lot of, at first when I got there, I was like, this is insane. These people are crazy. Everyone else here like is crazier than me. I don't need to be here. Yeah. And after a couple ants on a log and art projects, you're kind of like, okay, we're all the same. Yeah. (laughs) All in so much pain. And I think not only the nurses were just incredible. A couple of them, like we hated, we hated one of the psychiatrists. We hated every week we would have to go in and tell them how we were feeling. And the first you had to walk in and say like, hi, I'm Alexa. I'm depressed, have anxiety, body dysmorphia and issues with feeling the pressure to be perfect. Mm -hmm. And then they would talk amongst a bunch of doctors that would kind of analyze you as you would just stand there. Mm -hmm. I remember really hating that. But yeah, it's kind of like putting you on display there. A little, yeah, it's less, it's less personal. It was a lot less personal and they would ask questions and it was a lot of the college students, but then they would make sure that the other two that we were close with would come after and talk to us about it all. Mm-hmm. Um, and they would explain like, Hey, this is really awesome that you're helping all these people help you and help understand people like you. And so I understand why they did it. Yeah. Um, but being a guinea pig wasn't fun. But other than that, it was like getting to talk about like my pain through making a mask and like we, we, we would make these paper mache masks and we had to put all the things we show the world and then everything that we feel inside on the inside of the masks. Yeah. That was the first thing that we did that kind of made me realize like, I really like this. And we would have like music hour. We could listen to approved music. <laughs> and if you played an instrument, you could perform for everyone, which was really cool. Um, we did art a lot. We played a lot of games. We still did school, but not nearly as much as we did in actual school. We kind of were just like barely keeping up with everything. Yeah. Teacher was definitely helping me cheat, which I think I needed <laughs> to do. Um, what else? Another thing I hated though, is we would go see movies on Fridays, but we had to all hold on to a rope. <laughs> oh, Wow. And I don't think I've ever heard of that. <laughs> I know. It's super weird. And we would also be with our nurses in scrubs. Like, it wasn't even discreet. It was just like, yo, these are the sick kids. Wow. <laughs> and I remember, because it was at a mall. And so they would, like, put us in the car. We'd go to the mall. And a, gr- a group of girls, like, recognized me. And I was mortified because yeah. I was, like, holding onto a rope with two nurses. Yeah. Nurses that had booty juice in case anything happened, like crazy happened, where it was like this shot where they would just like shoot you in the butt and you would just knock out. Mm. The really hardcore kids would like 
ask for booty juice. They would like do bad things because they wanted to get high. But yeah, I mean, it's yeah. crazy. The amount is like the stories that I have from the hospital are so fond, but bizarre. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm even smiling, just like thinking about my time there, just because it was the first time someone really saw me. And it was the first time a group of people made me really excited about life. Mm-hmm. And it was like, we, the whole thing is it was first names only. You weren't allowed to share any, anything with anyone. Cause they didn't want us to relapse. And we were kind of also that round of kids that became way too good of friends. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, I know I'm never going to see these people again, but we, we kind of found ways to keep in contact. Um, but I, I, I really can't like talk to them ever again, but yeah. it's just those were people that have like always made this impression of my life mm-hmm. and like inspired me forever. Yeah. They helped create this really sacred place that, mm-hmm. you know, gave you a whole new sense of self. It sounds like. I feel like after the hospital, I kind of woke up in a sense, hmm. but I also don't want to make it seem like the hospital is like this place to go. If you're depressed, like I was in such a dark spot to get to that point. Yeah. And I don't, listening to this to be like oh my god I'm sad hospital sounds amazing because like <laughs> hospital is still really hard like yeah it's, really- it's a lot of intense you know work I mean you you mentioned some of the like art therapy that you guys did with the masks and that can be like really powerful work but I'm also sure that there was probably like some pretty intensive psychotherapy involved as well yeah we basically had like two hours of psychotherapy with a therapist every single day mm-hmm. so um we would do that by ourselves and we all had like a scheduled time And then we had group therapy for around like three and a half hours where we would all just go around and talk and they would split it up obviously, but like it was a lot of, Mm -hmm. it was like exhausting and heavy every day. I think we had a 9 p.m. bedtime, but we were all asleep by like 8.30 because we were like so like, it was exhausting. And the food was pretty gross. Um. Hmm. And well, and I think, you know, we've established in previous episodes kind of the difference between like feeling anxious and like being diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. And um, I mean, you know, even the same kind of with depression and what for you, I think you've already kind of said a few things that you're able to um, distinguish between like just, oh, I'm just feeling a little depressed today. And like, I think I have depression or I've already been diagnosed with depression. And this is like seriously causing major dysfunction in my life right now that, you know, it's not something that, that you kind of, cope with and then and then are able to move on and you know can go months without experiencing like this was a very intense um severe depression for you that you were experiencing and so that kind of a that kind of level of treatment was necessary and was then very helpful i mean it was to the point where like i probably wouldn't have made it without it so you have to be at the point where it's like anxiety is absolutely consuming your life where you can't do anything. And when I, I know when I'm just like anxious and it have like, I have anxiety and I've been diagnosed with it and I've been like medicated for it, but I still know when I'm nervous and I know when I'm having like anxiety, like when mm-hmm. I can't sleep and I wake up with a weight on my shoulder and I'm shaking or I have, my thing is like, I can't feel my hands I kind of just like disassociate my body with myself as like a defense mechanism. Mm -hmm. But when my anxiety gets really, really bad, I am really good at like ignoring it and telling myself it's not really there, but I know it's bad when I reach out to my other hand and it feels like someone else's. Yeah. 
So that's like, I think you kind of like get your things, but I even think somebody that struggles with anxiety consistently sometimes has a hard time distinguishing like, am I just anxious for this audition? Am I anxious about this meeting? Am I like stressed out to meet this new person? Am I stressed out about the Mm -hmm. amount of work I have? Or am I having like a full blown anxiety attack that doesn't really make sense? That's probably deeply rooted in something that I don't understand yet. Or I don't know what else. Like it's, some days I just, I don't know. Some days it's because it's triggered by my family. Some days it's triggered because of my friends. Sometimes I'll have a bad dream and I'll wake up from it and be anxious for a couple of days. Yeah. So it's just different every time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, t- tell me if this is not something that, that you're comfortable um, sharing. I remember, I think maybe it was shared on Instagram or you had shared like, you know, feeling depressed on social media and then maybe I had texted you or something. Um, but you about having, <laughs> you're the best. <laughs> I do. Well, cause I'm always like, Oh, like I really, I, I feel, I either really feel you in that. And like, I really relate or I'm just like so proud of you for being honest and, and vulnerable and sharing that with other people that I just want to like give you a hug and be like, thank you for sharing. And also I'm here for you if you need anything at all. Um, oh, thank you. But you, you had shared about like nightmares and like waking yeah. up and, and all of that. Um, and so I'm not sure if that's something that you're comfortable with talking about. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I can talk about it. Um, I wasn't planning on it, but I'm okay with it. Well, just like I, in terms of how that related like to your anxiety, you know, like you said, yeah. you could kind of tell like when you were having, you know, a full blown panic attack and, and not just feeling anxious, kind of like when sleep was disturbed and that nightmares yeah. is like an example of that. Yeah. I mean, I don't really know how common having nightmares is as an adult. I don't know how common nightmares are. That was a better way to phrase it. (laughs) But I get bad nightmares sometimes and they're usually like, they're recurring, but they're usually a little bit different, but like they always end the same. Mm -hmm. And so my nightmares are like triggered more from like, I don't want to like, I haven't been, mm, It's PTSD. So like my nightmares usually come from that. Mm-hmm. Um, just like I've had like a couple of traumatic things that have happened yeah. and the nightmares feel like those things. Yeah. So, and that brings up a lot of that anxiety. Yeah. And then I'll usually have anxiety for like a couple of weeks after having that dream. And for a mm-hmm. while I'll be like, oh my God, like, wow, I think I'm finally like kind of getting over this traumatic event. And then mm-hmm. the nightmare will I'll be like, just kidding. <laughs> You're like, oh, there it is again. There we go. Yeah. And like, thankfully, I have a therapist that I see a couple times a week when I'm having that kind of a feeling. I'm like, I need to see you a little bit more. Yeah. Um, and I think that's like a really good thing to be aware of. I mean, even, you know, I think sometimes people start off and they're like, oh, like, I'm just going to go like once a month. And like, Oftentimes that's not very beneficial and to really listen to yourself and figure out when you do need that. Like for me, I mean, before going on The Bachelor, I was already in therapy, like working through my vulnerability, especially when it came to dating and that that was, you know, a once a week kind of thing and just all the changes and stuff that were going on in my life. And then when the show was airing, I was in therapy like twice, sometimes three times a week because I was like, I need this. I need to process this. Like I need this safe space and to seek it out. Totally. No, therapy is like the best. I even had one friend that called me because now all my friends kind of come to me with their mental health things because they're like, 
hey, Alexa talks about it. Like, that's who I need to talk to. <laughs> um, and I always tell them, I'm like, I'm not a therapist. Like, yeah. I can refer you to a couple of really good ones, but... Mm-hmm. I can just kind of talk things through with you. And I had a friend that was kind of explaining things that were a little bit too big for me. And I was like, I don't want to like say that you have something or I don't want to say the wrong thing. Like, please just meet with this therapist. She went with a the therapist and really had to only go two times. She was like, I'm not depressed. I'm not anxious. I just didn't know how to make this choice. I just didn't know how to process mm-hmm. this life and, and like needed someone that was a professional to tell me what was going on. Yeah. And it's, some people need that in two therapy sessions, like good to go, feeling great. And then there's people that have had like all these issues, deep rooted problems that they didn't want to address. And I think in the beginning they're like, oh, I'm going to therapy. Like I did it. I'm talking to somebody that I'm sad about this. Mm -hmm. And then you realize that it's like, if you've been sad about something for a while, you've probably been sad about it for even longer. Yeah. Um, And and it's been impacting your life in so many other ways that is going to take a while to come to light. Or even like my therapy, it was like for the first two years, like, yeah, we were talking about things. And like, I basically went to therapy after having like a really, really bad breakup And I was like, okay, like I need to go. Like, I didn't think it was going to happen like this. Like, I don't, I just, I need to talk to somebody. Um, And so probably for the first year, it was just talking about like me being angry towards people. And then the next year it was kind of like me being sad. And now I think I'm finally in the place after a couple of years of having treatment that I'm like actually kind of really getting into the nitty gritty because Mm -hmm. it really takes like that long to sift through everything. Yeah. And especially because all kinds of other things are going on in your life as that's happening that you have to process, you know, like Mm -hmm. things are always happening and always changing in our lives, like to keep up with all of that. And, and then also have that time to reflect, like it's, it's tough. You definitely have to make the time for it. Um, Mm -hmm. and so, I mean, was, going to, you know, outpatient therapy again, part of your, um, treatment post-hospitalization? Yeah. So then you did that kind of the same Mm -hmm. thing, just like got to go to my night classes. And then after that, you're supposed to do group, like group therapy. But at that point I was like, I'm moving to LA. I'm doing my own thing. So we only went to like a couple family sessions and then I was like, I'm not getting anything out of this. Like, this is not, mm-hmm. this is not helping me, which I think that was a big mistake because I really needed to do follow-up therapy. But after hospital, I think I was like, oh, I'm good. Yeah. I just like ran away from it, but I really should have, even just individual therapy, I should have kept with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think that that's like a common misconception of people thinking that like once they go to therapy maybe even once, maybe for two months or when they go inpatient and having that hospital experience that then, okay, I'm cured. I'm good to go. I don't need any of this anymore because I did the work. No, it's like work. (laughs) Yes, exactly. It is lifelong work. Um, And so, I mean, initially perhaps you didn't take that um, treatment, but now that's something that you're in with seeing your therapist and- yeah, um, well, I think, like tennis camp as a kid, like I went to tennis camp for three weeks in a row and you go every single day and you're there all day and you play tennis. And that's all you do. And then after I was like, oh, I can play tennis. Like I'm killing it. Like whatever. The other day I tried to play tennis and was horrible because I haven't <laughs> done tennis camp since I was a kid. So if it's like me saying like, oh, I did like psychiatric treatment when I was 17. Like I'm great. I know all the coping mechanisms to not have gone to therapy. That would be terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. It was just like the first step of being like, I'm going to learn how to do this. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And so, I mean, now you have, you know, you've learned some of those coping skills and whatnot. And I mean, I guess like how now do you handle when, you know, you are really suffering from some intense anxiety or feeling really depressed and perhaps seeing photos of yourself, knowing that your hair is really greasy and your eyes look sunken in and you're wearing sweatpants. Like, well, no, now it's just like gaining weight. So like, 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 like recently it's like, I've had like probably the past six or seven months have been, there was like six months that were like so brutal. And I took an internet hiatus and I just had to like be for a little bit. And it was the first time I really let myself cry. And I really just Mm -hmm. let myself feel everything and like actually cope and kind of grieve in a way. Like I'd never, I'd gone through all the therapy, I'd done all of it, but I'd never properly just been sad. It was always like an anger sad or whatever. And so that was about six months ago. So I think now I'm still very much like recovering from that still. Mm-hmm. Um, like I've, I have weeks that are better than others, but like I did gain like probably 15 pounds in that process. And that was devastating because now I'm pursuing acting full time and like getting feedback that like I'm not the same weight as it said on my resume is like very awful, mm-hmm. um, which also just kind of contributes to more and more stress. Um, and more pressure that that's put on you. Yeah. And it's like, I kind of know the warning signs. I knew I had to take time off of the internet. I knew I needed to ask for a learning disability in school for Mm -hmm. finally acknowledging that I'm dyslexic. Yeah. I'm trying to think what was the original question? (laughs) I don't remember anymore either. Um, I think just kind of how how like treatment has impacted how you handle <laughs> those it. things when they come up now, like how you kind well, of cope with that. I mean, we learned a lot of coping mechanisms in treatment. And I think the person that really helped the most was this nurse broke down to me three qualities that I had. And he said they were the three qualities that make anyone successful. And he was like telling like all of us individually, he'd bring us into the room and he'd be like, you are this, this and that. And that means anything you do, you can be successful at So like, that's kind of the one that like I play in the back of my head is like, I'm tenacious, I'm excited and I'm hardworking. Mm -hmm. And I just like, whenever anything feels like too big, that's kind of what I think about. It's kind of your Um, mantra. Yeah. It's kind of my mantra. Like I hear his voice in the back of my head. I talked about him in the video. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I know when it's coming because I can feel it and I can feel it in my stomach. I can feel it in my chest. I I know it's like, this is going to be like an also like weird thing as girls, you know, we I can't talk. As girls, you know when you're going to get your period. Like, you can mm-hmm. feel it. A couple of days before that, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm PMSing. Oh my gosh, I feel bloated. I want chocolate. Yes. And thing with my anxiety, I'll be like, okay, cool. I don't want to do that. I feel pressure to do this. I feel like I'm going to scream. I feel like I'm shaking. I can't feel my hands right now. I want to eat everything. Yeah. Like, I can feel all of that. And that's when I go, okay, let's take a little break. Mm-hmm. Let's not, let's not feel pressure. It's a work event tonight, but like, let's not go. Let's just hang out. Let's go eat healthy food. Let's go box. Let's go work out. Yeah. For me, boxing has been an incredible coping mechanism. Okay. Uh, I've never, I've never done boxing before. Oh, you have to come with me. It's pretty great. Yeah. I have seen some of your snaps of, of you doing it though. And that, I mean, that's good to know that just... I mean, exercise in general is typically something that's like, you know, recommended as a great coping skill and can be really helpful to process those tough feelings. Um, what, wh- why boxing for you? Well, I was doing spin forever and I've done boot camp, but for me, boxing is like being, it's not even like the punching of someone or getting angry. 
it's like being able to connect to somebody else while doing a skill. So it's like knowing that I'm like getting better at a sport every day and loving to do it. Not because I know it's like exercise, but being like, okay, I'm getting better at this hobby. I'm being getting better at this sport. Um, I think that it perhaps gives you some confidence and could be like empowering in that way. Yeah. And I think a lot of ways, like I struggled with not feeling good enough because I wasn't a guy for a long time. Hmm. Um, so I think even playing, like doing this like very masculine sport and still being good at it has been really cool. Yeah. Um, and also like my whole class is like filled with girls. So it's like cool to see all these like women hitting punching bags and like sparring with dudes. It's mm-hmm. just like, it's very cool. And it's a really good environment. I think that's an important thing for working out is finding like a group of people that you really enjoy doing something. I also journal a lot Mm -hmm. and I write a lot. I write scripts. I'm writing a book that I've been working on for a couple of years. Um, If I'm really anxious, I'll just sit and journal for like three hours. I love to read. I read a lot. Um, I call people now. I was never one to like call friends and talk about it, but I'll be like, Hey, I'm not feeling too great. Can we like do some tarot card reading and paper mache? So I just like find find the little things, like find all of the, I I just now, like if I, if it's coming, I put work down for a second. If I can, if I can't, I power through it and reward myself after, Mm -hmm. but I don't know. I just, I just have now I can, I can smell when it's coming and I do what I can to kind of swim through it with help. Yeah. And, and I think that that's, you know, another kind of sign of knowing that you have reached a better place and that you do have some of the coping skills. Like in the past when you were 17 and perhaps if you had work and needed to do all these things, you might not have been able to power through it and then deal with it afterwards and give yourself that time. Whereas now you can kind of like, you know, okay, I sense this coming, but like I, I need to show up for this and I need to be there for this, but then I'm going to give myself the time afterwards to like sit with this and put words to it and maybe call a friend and like check in with myself. Totally. Yeah. I I think now that like I'm on the spot, I'm doing a bad job of explaining everything, but yeah, it is checking in with yourself. It's saying, am I doing okay? Like what's happening? Why am I feeling this way? Mm -hmm. I feel like now I've grown this like awareness, like I'll act a certain way and be like, oh my gosh, no, I'm acting out of anxiety. And then like apologize to the friend and be like, I'm so sorry. I have two friends that I call my husbands because they just like, it's the first time I've let a friend take care of me Mm. and they'll know when I'm not doing okay. And they're like, Hey, we're going to come pick you up. And I'm like, no, I have work to do. They're like, we're we're coming to pick you up. (laughs) Like now we can see when it's happening and they'll like, take me to dinner or we'll go to the beach and we'll talk. Yeah. Um, And it's been really good. Um, trying to think of like, what else? Well, hey, Just don't the- don't put pressure on yourself to be perfect in this um in this yeah. podcast and in sharing how how you've you know your story and how you've struggled with all this stuff. Like there there's no right or wrong way to to share this stuff, and sometimes it's all jumbled up in our heads and trying to figure out like what's going to be helpful and what what should I say about this and you know it's you just got to let it flow sometimes, and it's okay if it doesn't totally come out right because it's there is no right. Okay, perfect. Yeah. So I don't want you to get in your head now and like <laughs> be like, ah, how do I say this perfectly? <laughs> you can now like see my own problems in it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it sounds like you've really been able to like develop this sense of like community and these really strong friendships through the honesty that you've had with your mental health. And that is like, I think 
wonderful. And that's kind of like the goal even in, in sharing, you know? No, it's like everyone I'm close to now, we all, I think it's an LA thing or if it's like a creative thing, everyone I'm close to now struggles with mental health to an extent. Mm -hmm. Like they either have had people in their life that have like, that have, um, people in their life that have struggled with it or, um, they have. And so it's like, I have people that I can constantly talk to. Like even like yesterday, my friend that I was with also has problems with like body dysmorphia. And we were like thinking about what we were going to eat for dinner. And I was like, Oh my God, well, I already had sushi today. And she was like, you had sushi. It wasn't like you went and like ate an entire chocolate cake, like chill out You can eat pokey. You're fine. You don't need to have a chicken breast and vegetables. Like stop obsessing. Yeah. Uh, You have someone to like call you on it, you know? Yeah. And like someone else that has been through it and she like, like, she's like, well, I ate an entire bag of Oreos and I'm not going to feel shamed about it. Like I'm not gonna, that's a horrible example because eating a bag of Oreos is terrible for you. But like, there's even, I've have, I don't know. It's just like now a thing where I'm like, okay, we all have problems. Like we're all here to help each other. Mm -hmm. Like We can do this. Yeah. That's wonderful self-compassion to practice. Like telling totally. being kind to yourself, you know, reminding yourself that like you're not alone in this and then also like having, you know, the mindfulness to like sit with it and, you know, understand that like it's it's okay sometimes. It's okay. Yeah. It, it doesn't feel like it's okay and it, sometimes it's also okay to like to just not be okay. <laughs> I think it's totally okay to not be okay. I mean, I'm, I haven't really been okay for like a year and I think that's okay as long as I acknowledge it and I work towards it. Yeah. I mean, I love this part wasn't on our recording, but when I first called you and you know, I'm like, hey, how are you doing? How are you doing? And I was like, I'm all right. And you're like, yeah, I'm all right. <laughs> and it's like, was yeah. Like, We're both dealing with shit right now. We can acknowledge that. Yeah. And, and I think that's, you know, for me, it was also very refreshing like, talking to you again, having friends like this that you are open with and can be vulnerable and share that kind of stuff with that. It was like, I didn't feel the need to like have this, you know, mask and be like, oh, I'm doing great. How are you? Like, I could just be like, oh, I'm all right. Uh, not, not, not having it. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's so important to have those people in your life, but you won't know if you can have them in your life unless you take that chance to be vulnerable and open up. I feel like now it's to the point where I'm almost too vulnerable. I don't know if that's a thing because I feel like being vulnerable is a really good thing. But I'm like too open about like taking – I used to never take medication in front of anyone. Mm-hmm. And now I'm like, oh, it's time to go to bed, time for my medication. And like someone will be like, did you just like – did you just take like medication around me? And I'm like, I just – I did. I don't know if that like is any state of vulnerability, but I, I don't know. I mean, I think that's like, like- – owning your shit like just like how you would take care of your physical health and pop an advil you would be like oh sorry i just popped an advil in front of you yeah you know or even like i had met i had a friend that i knew on the internet four or five years oh no it's my phone um i had a friend that i knew on the internet for probably four or five years and we had always followed each other but we had like we just were never in the same place at the same time and we finally met and we were like talking about our stories And he was like, I either think you're full of shit or you're the most vulnerable person I've ever met. (laughs) And I'm like, I probably just am the most vulnerable person you've ever met because I've already told my whole story publicly to tons of people. Yeah. Well, and I think once once you've owned that, once you've like really come to terms and owned your story and that you share it, that like you have this new sense of of authenticity that you can share with people. And I think that 
that that offers a whole other level of connection mm-hmm. and that sometimes that can be scary and, and people might not know how to like respond to it because it's not something that they can necessarily see in themselves or because it's it's they don't know how to, to connect with it because it's a different level of being authentic that they haven't been able to reach yet. Totally. And that that can feel like, whoa, like she's like really real with this shit. Like I don't even, I don't know what to do about that. <laughs> yeah. So, but I think it also is like great to be encouraging in that way to other people, you know, to say like, yeah, I can like take my medication when I need to take it and not second guess myself and not like feel shameful that I have to do this and, you know, try to make someone else feel more comfortable. Um, but that you can just own it and just be like, yeah, this is what, what are you talking about? This is what I got to do for me. (laughs) Yeah. Or even like, I don't know. Like, I'm trying to think of other things. Like, there's been times where I've, like, left the party early and haven't told anyone I'm leaving just because I felt, like, really, really anxious in the group of people that I was around or I just, like, felt like I needed to sleep to take care of myself. Like, there was mm-hmm. never, like, an explanation. Just sometimes I'll feel something inside of me and be like, yeah, it's, t- it's time to go. Yeah. Like, it's time. Like, I need to just leave. And I think having friends that understand, like, oh, I just wasn't feeling well. Oh, yeah, no worries. You're good. Mm -hmm. Or, like, for example, like, Coachella was really hard for me this year. Like, I really couldn't, like, do much of the crowd. It was, like, very, very, very hard. Mm -hmm. And our friend, Nick, randomly found me in the crowd and was like, oh, my God. Like, Alexa, like, he knows I have really bad anxiety and he's always been very helpful. And he was like, okay, you're staying with me for the rest of the night. Like, I don't want you to, like get lost. I don't, I, he goes, I know how to like, I've been friends with him for so long. He's like, I know how to help you. I know how to deal with it. And once people start to get close to me and they know me well, they kind of know what will trigger me and they know what's going to be okay. And what isn't. So I feel like also having those friends and being okay to have those friends is something that's really helpful mm-hmm. and not feeling ashamed that your friends need to know the things to help you. Yeah, absolutely. Not feeling ashamed to let your friends help you. I think that's a so big important. step better. Absolutely. Because like you said, when when you think back to when you think back to being in high school and when you were making that decision to go and be like fully inpatient and go to the hospital that you didn't have the support around you and that you yeah. needed to be in a really supportive place. And that is something I've reiterated so many times on the pod, but like it's the most real thing that like we are social beings and having support in our lives is like probably I'm going to go out on a limb here and say like one of the most crucial components to treatment for any kind of disorder, any diagnosis. Typically a strong piece is having that social support. Yeah. If you don't have it, you feel alone and you feel isolated and that's when things start to feel impossible. When, like, recovery is, like, the most possible thing in the world. Yeah. It's, like, so possible. Yeah. And we are, like, so not alone, really. I mean... Ever. Alone time can be very good and helpful, but, like, to think that you are completely alone as an individual, you cannot be more far from the truth. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think... One way for people to feel super not alone would be to watch your YouTube video um, where you do share about that. Uh, And I'll put the episode or I'll put the link to that uh, video in the episode notes for this so that people can can check that out. Okay, cool. Yeah. I think I just want to make clear that like not 
not all hospital experiences are the same. Yeah. And to like idealize what that place looks like. I think not to like stigmatize it and to not talk about it and not thinking it's this crazy place, but also not thinking it's like this miracle place mm-hmm. because it's a place to get better. It's a place to recover and all recoveries are different. Like all of the places are different. There's facilities that are on a farm. There's facilities that are in hospitals. And I think the most important thing is to do your research. Some of them are run by people that just want to make money. Some of them are not legitimate. Some of them are more like cults. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just have to be careful about where you go. Meet them before you just check yourself in. And yeah, just be aware and do your research. I think with anything, do your research. When you're trying to find a psychiatrist, do your research. When you're trying yeah. to find a therapist, do your research. And I think really just keep meeting therapists and psychiatrists until you find the one that gets you. Yes. Because although it, it took me, what, 10 years to finally find someone that I knew would be able to help me. Yeah. And like, this therapist, there's been times where I'd be like, I don't, I hope she doesn't listen to this. But there's <laughs> times that I've like wanted to move out of LA and I'm like, oh, I think I should move out of LA, even though I know I want to be here. And deep down, like if I really wanted to move, I would have moved, but I, I would tell myself, oh, well, I finally found a therapist that's good. I don't want to leave LA because I finally have someone that like really gets it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, um, I remember when we were driving down to Coachella last year together and you were talking about her and you were just like, she's wonderful. I'm so happy I've found her. <laughs> yeah, no, there's been, like, we've just like, she's been the person that like I've been with the longest and also the person that's just like really got it. Yeah, it's important to have. Yeah, it really is. And I'm glad that you found it. But also, if, if, if you did really want to move somewhere else, I, I I believe that you would be able to find another person who would get I agree it. with that. There's a lot of really great... There's so many great therapists. Yeah. And I mean, I have a therapist that I see here in Seattle, but then sometimes like if I'm in New York with Derek or something, like I'll have a Skype session with her. Um, yeah. And, you know, my really close girlfriend sees her as well. And like, she's living out of the country right now, but like we'll Skype and have sessions with her and everything. Um, but there are so many different therapists. Um, I, again, we'll put in the episode notes the link to psychologytoday.com, which is a really great site for people to find therapists in their area. Yeah. So I think I just want to leave people with like, don't give up. There's going to be someone that's going to be able to help you. Even if it's not the first 10 people that you meet, there will be someone. And I think also staying consistent with it is so important. You might feel better. You might feel like it's easy. Like you might be like, Oh, I I did it. Like it's done. I did the job, but it's like, no, it's a consistent lifelong thing Mm -hmm. that is going to be like, it's going to be a constant battle, but the battle is going to get so much easier. Yeah. It's going to be a battle that you grow in, that you grow way stronger. And then when you first started it. Totally. And you're going to end up being so emotionally intelligent. (laughs) Absolutely. Don't we just all want to have like a super high level of emotional intelligence? I mean, don't we? (laughs) Uh, Good times, good times. Well, thank you so much for like sharing and again, being like a wonderful example of owning your story and like being vulnerable and and being open to sharing it. it, I, it's been great for me to like learn more of your story and to learn, you know, things that I didn't previously know about you and about your experience with being in a hospital and, and with coping outside of that. Um, and so honestly, very truly thank you for, for being open with that. Thank you so much for having me. 
You guys can find Alexa on YouTube at youtube.com slash Alexa. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode. You guys can send us emails at ask.letstalkaboutit at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at letstalkaboutit underscore podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Wave Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows, including the Brain Candy Podcast, I Don't Get It, Babes and Babies, Coffee Convos, and Let's Talk About It.